That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome, I am Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a podcast devoted to re-watching Batman v Superman a minute at a time, talking American politics, Washington architecture, horses. The symbolism around horses, yep. Unfortunately, I feel like we're going to have none of that as we arrive at minute 86. However, thankfully, after what feels like such a long time, we are getting back to Bruce Wayne. So, well, I guess he overhears... Our next minute, which draws him into to his next movement in this film. So just imagine you're Bruce turning around to look at the TV. You're heading in to meet with the senators. What will you tell them? Uh, I've come here to tell them to wake up. You know, this is flesh and blood. Um, you know, he, he's delivered a war here. And, and this, this is what war looks like. I have nothing. Wallace shows up to be interviewed. It appears that Bruce recognizes the name recognizes the voice in his boardroom and turns around to look at his wall of televisions because Wallace is pretty much entangled in Bruce's trauma at this point. Even though we haven't seen him, we know that that is a part of this day that marked him. What do they call you, Wally? Yeah. You're the boss boss. Yeah. And I want to point out here, we know that Lex has arranged this. He's given Wally something to stand for. But we are going to very soon find out how Lex operates with these people that he is, move, is moving in this plot. So I want to call out choice of words here that Wallace uses. I would say Lex knows Bruce is going to hear because he has gone and found there were thousands of people injured in, in the Metropolis attack. But he has found the one person that Bruce saved who worked for him. Mm -hmm. And he has, this is a very articulately put together speech from what we've seen of Wallace, I'll say. Yeah. Whether these words are completely his or not, in, in like textually or metatextually, what he says here could not be tailored more directly to Bruce's psychosis and like his trauma, especially after we watched him hit the brakes. We know Alfred is no longer on his side. We know that he has faltered in his mission. And we have Soledad O'Brien stepping in, basically cueing Wallace to say, this is flesh and blood. He has delivered a war here. This is what war looks like. I have nothing. First of all, reaffirming what Bruce was saying to Alfred, that this is a war, mm -hmm. that he started this. Right now, Bruce needs to hear that from somebody else. This is flesh and blood. Purely, I mean, we just came off him saying, do you even bleed? Or do you bleed? And when we read that as, do you even bleed? Yeah. That this is flesh and blood. He's delivered a war here. And this is what war looks like, is people permanently scarred by what happened. Calling attention to the injury he had when Bruce found him in Metropolis. Yep. Words that sadly, I think, echo with Bruce. I have nothing. Mm-hmm. We know that Bruce had a family. We know that Bruce had Jack. Right, We knew that he had a Robin at some point. He had more than he has now, and now he's losing Alfred, and he just had this vision of losing absolutely everything. Yeah. Well, and he's got the, a portrait of Thomas Wayne hanging over yep. him, which is interesting, not just because he's, he's lost him, but Thomas was the one who threw the punch, whereas mm -hmm. Martha has a different role to play in the movie. But in this yeah. moment, it is the specter of Thomas Wayne that is towering over him. Yeah, like literally like the, on his shoulder. 
Yeah, I'm older now than my father ever was. I know we're not there yet, but... Well, yeah. I'll ask you, Stephen, do you think Thomas Wayne would have hit the brakes? (laughs) (laughs) Given what we've seen of him? No. I mean, yeah, he didn't in what we saw of him, so... This this speech is like priming Bruce. If not triggering him. It is... Oh, totally. Yeah. The only reason I'll say it isn't is because he responds with like somewhat a level head where he tells Grace to go get Greg. Yeah. Because I guess there's enough left of there. Like, it's so nice to see Bruce talking to another human. Yeah. And another scene, by the way, where we've got Bruce looking at a bank of monitors. I just, it's like my favorite thing about, he's just like, every other scene is him looking at monitors. We shift out of this because now, again, we were spending like a majority of minutes following characters previously. I think we had a full minute with Kahina and then we got a full minute with Lois. Now we get half a minute with Bruce and we cut back to Lois and she is returning from her meeting with Swanwick. She is basically relaying everything to Perry saying that my source has said all of this stuff. I need to run this now because it might change what he wants to say. She wants to get Superman the truth I think, honestly, part of it is because when we go back to that bathtub scene, she now understands that Clark was a victim, right? Like he was played the fool that the things that he is questioning about himself or the things that she questioned him about were actually by design. It was not through him not seeing something. It was she was culpable because she was the bait that basically pulled him in. And now she has to let him know. Perry is not having it <laughs> uh, because she he is not um, not going to use the paper for those purposes if if the story is this explosive without a, a, a source willing to go on the record on its own. I buy that also from Perry that this is a whoa 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 Lois this is a lot to drop on and to say I'm going to run this right away um, absolutely not. It's a clear case of libel without somebody putting else putting their name to it and even questionably if. Even if Swanwick was willing to come forward, I think he's probably credible enough. But even even if Swanwick were on it, that's something that would be like really sensitive to to run and avoid. Uh, what does he say? He'll sue the paper out of existence. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's hard to know that if if Perry knew that Lois's anonymous source was like potentially or presumably the Secretary of Defense, that it, it would make him more or less likely to want to run this story. But we know that no chance is is this going to happen. But Lois is understandably desperate. She has stumbled onto the truth and needs to get it out before she is silenced. Speaking of which, as she is coming up from her train on the phone with Perry, she passes by Kahina Ziri and obviously recognizes her from the coverage of the Senate hearing. But unfortunately, Anatoly Kanayazev sees Lois... And diverts his face so that she won't recognize him from Nairomi as she goes by. Because as you said to me before we started recording, if she sees him following her, this entire story is locked into place and she knows absolutely everything that's happening. Yeah. I mean, she's so close to having all the pieces put together that all she needs, like that closes the loop right there the second she spots him. Or, well, because she did see Kahina, right? Because she turns to see Kahina. And I just love the subtle, like how you see Anatoly spots her and then it looks like he's like turning over to talk to someone next to him or just turning his face away in general. And I'd never noticed that before watching it this closely, but he's a smooth operator. I think that's very obvious in the margins of this movie, just how kind of slick he is at what he does. Like filmic artistry there that as the storylines are closing in together, they have the three people literally pass each other. Oh yeah. Well, we've been talking about how 
the, the sort of building tension. And then like you mentioned that this minute even is split into two halves. And so not only are we getting very rhythmic with the ending on the minute, ending on the minute, but now we almost have like an ending on 30 seconds, ending on 30 seconds. And you, and then you, yeah. in this moment at the end of this 30 second chunk, wrap all three of them together in this moment. It's, we're clearly crescendoing to something. Processing the full story as told in the ultimate cut makes this shot or this little sequence of them all passing each other feel like, oh, it's so close. And as June Finch, like the truth is so close to coming out here. Right. If Lois could just get the word to Superman or if she could just see Kanaezev or Finch knows, right? There are so... Yep. There, everyone is like a, a hair's breadth away from unraveling Lex's entire deal. Um, yeah. Even Batman, I mean, arguably Bruce is like, he knows something is up here, right? He's like, wait, what's going yeah. on here? Something is up, but is it too late? Alexis spinning plates, man. This yeah. is a good minute. And the, the momentum is building and we are primed for minute 87. Yeah. I'm excited to, to talk about that stuff, but I will say for, for right now, I'm just going to obsess over the speech that Wallace says and watching Bruce hear those words. And it's like, he's, he's speaking to his subconscious. Like, I don't even know that Bruce is processing how all of this is tailor-made for him, but I feel like these words are going to echo in his head, regardless of what happens, you know, at the end of this broadcast. But we've reached the end of the podcast broadcast, which means it's time to, once again, thank everybody for listening to us go on and on about <laughs> this movie for, for yet another minute uh, of the movie, much longer for us. We have to be over 30 hours at this point. Oh, I think we're over 40. Good Lord. On that note, hey, if you would like to help support our next 40 hours of podcasting on BVS by the Minute or the coming Justice League or someday Man of Steel, who knows what else you can you can follow us on uh, patreon.com slash Snyder Minute. You can show us the support there. We have our bonus content, which is interview with Richard Cetron. But uh, now that I'm just saying all these other movies, I can't stop thinking about 300. Maybe that's just today, but but who knows? While we're talking bonus stuff, uh, that might be the excuse I have to uh, attack something that has is like tenuously tied to DC Comics. Oh yeah, three hundred would still count. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a Snyder minute, right? So we could. There's all sorts of stuff we could do here. Makes sense. Yeah, you can follow us. We're on Facebook at Snyder Minutes. Like we're on Twitter at BVS by the minute because we obviously needed to divide up like our horse talk and stuff. You know, at this point, we should have BVS by the minute and horse talk and just and horse you know, talk. <laughs> eventually we're going to need to keep horse talk and BVS by the minute separate because it's too pervasive. For the time being, uh, if you can tell a friend about the podcast or um, support us by listening or following us or tweeting horses from the movie at us at SnyderMinute.com. But for now, we have to leave because Senator June Finch. Senator. Holly Hunter's performance here is like Finch has been this unwavering. Oh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say, but we should talk. We should record it. Okay. <laughs>